Today, my guest is Dr. Scott Freisard. We met on LinkedIn and I absolutely adore Scott. I love his brain. I love how he thinks. I love what he does because he spent the entire month of April polling, asking questions, diving in, starting dialogues all about the perceptions of what people believe autistic humans are and can, are capable of what we do, what our behaviors are, our functioning levels. That was one of the ones we were talking about. And it's an amazing conversation. Guys, he's had some incredible conversations this month. Scott was also one of the autistic advocates in the Shine a Light Advocate panel. So if you want to hear a little bit more about his why, go check that out. Stay tuned and let's dig into this incredible conversation as we cap Autism Awareness Acceptance Month for April. Hi, I'm Carol Jean, founder and host of Mind Your Autistic Brain talk show and community. And you're about to experience the new way to thrive in life and relationships as a late identified autistic by unveiling who you are, how you communicate, finding your self-care plan from the inside out, and being the authentic creator of your best life. Get ready because this is where we go against the mainstream, say no to outdated society norms, and we say yes to who we are in order to create a joy-filled, balanced, and more neurodistinct world. Welcome to Mind Your Autistic Brain. Welcome to the show. I am so excited to be debriefing April with you. Thank you. Thank you for having me. I really appreciate it. And uh, I really appreciate everything that you do as well. Thank you so much. Scott, we started talking before April hit. And you said, I think I know what I want to do. I'm not sure where this is going to go or how I'm going to really do this as I unravel it. But this is what I'm curious about. I want to know what people think. I want to start, and I like this, not discussions, dialogues. And I want to really dig into ABA, Applied Behavioral Analysis. I want to actually talk to people in the ABA field to find out why they think that this is beneficial and why they are doing what they're doing as far as therapy practices within the autistic community. You wanted to know what society as a whole, from social media standpoints, from medical deficit standpoints, what are people thinking and believing and what are they then interpreting about being autistic? And I loved the questions that you've asked throughout the month. So one of the things that we talked about before we started recording is I was like, Scott, (laughs) how do you feel at the end of the month? Like you've had this whole month of some, some pretty um, emotionally charged conversations on both sides of the table. A couple of times, I know both, you know, within your post and one-on-one when you were doing some interviews. So I know that that was part of it, but what I wanted to know and what I want you to share with our listeners is what was your experience? Like what was your overall take on April this year? as an autistic advocate? So, so very interesting question. 
you know, leading up to April, there was a lot of uh, posting about, hold on, here it comes, the worst time of the year for us autistics. And yes, that's happened in the past. It happened to me in the past as well. Um, and that's part of why I wanted to change my approach as a self-advocate. I had a pretty interesting experience last year when I advocated for myself during April and it was almost exclusively, this is my experience. This is what I want you to know about me, about what it's like to be autistic, that one directional um, advocacy work. It took a lot out of me, uh, it, it, like you described, emotionally draining. And I understood why people hate, autistic people hate April. Totally got it. So I wanted to do something different. And I would say less than 5%, maybe even less than 3% of everything that I posted. And you know me, I posted a lot. Um, very little of it had anything to do with that one directional assertion. It was all, let me ask you questions about your values, beliefs, assumptions, experiences, et cetera. I came away from April and I probably posted an average of three or four times a day. I came away from April actually feeling pretty good. I did not feel emotionally drained. Um, I learned a lot. It, it gave me some direction to continue, um, but I did not feel drained at all. Not like last year. I love it because you and I were sharing before we started recording a very similar experience because I said something very similar last year and it was that one directional. And I think that that, that makes a difference, but I think that's also part of sort of our journey and evolution in late identified life. It's like, we finally know more about ourselves. So we want to share what that is, that, that lived yeah. experience and that one directional viewpoint to allow other people to like see us and get us because we finally see and get ourselves, right? And that is emotionally exhausting because it is very vulnerable, is very raw. Mm -hmm. And I think that that is ultimately draining, especially when we're in a month that can be very emotionally charged because of a lot of the misinformation, the social media, just lots of things that are components to that. But it was interesting because I saw not just the same experience you and I had this year where we were, and I love this, flipping the script, um, <laughs> flipping the script, which is your hashtag that you started, which I love. Um, but looking at it from how do we elevate and raise our voices in a way that is creating dialogue, that is yeah. reaching someone in a, in a bi-directional way. And I think that was a big shift I saw across the board for a lot of advocates this year. Yeah, and you know, coming into this, I, I had put on my uh, organization development hats and change management hats. And you know, how do we create sustainable, meaningful change in organizations? And one of the things that absolutely has to happen is one has to understand the organization first. So I, I really did follow that 
seek first to understand, then to be understood. And I'm still kind of waiting to, to pull out the then to be understood. But just like we have a need to feel validated as autistics and accepted as autistics, I do believe that's something that is universal regardless of neurotype. So our counterparts, if you will, um, are non-autistic uh, friends and family and, and the general public. They have that exact same need. And, and one of the things that I saw in a lot of the advocacy work in times past is let me tell you how it is. And this is what you have to do differently, which runs counter to that whole feeling valued as a being heard perspective. And so I really wanted to take the, you know, even if you believe wholeheartedly that ABA is the right thing to do and it helps so many people and anything outside of that is wrong, I want to understand why. Help me, help me see what you see because I don't see that. Now, that doesn't mean, and I actually had a couple people call me out on this. Um, that doesn't mean I'm going to adopt that perspective or I'm going to support that perspective. But it sure does help me understand where they're coming from, from so that I can better uh, package my message so that it is uh, better received. And if others feel like they're being heard, they're more likely to listen as well. So in order for my message to even get there, they got to feel like they've been heard. Uh, so th that's, that's why I did what I did. I love how you did it, you know, because we had a, you and I had a really great coffee where we just like got together. We were just talking about all this stuff and we were sort of brain dumping on each other. And I loved it because, you know, you, you started this and I want to, I want to, just like highlight this because I thought this was really important. You started this month and you're like, I'm just seeking to understand. I'm not going to show up with any presuppositions or beliefs or anything. I'm just getting real curious. And that to me, you know, when you put your change management hat on, when you put in your corporate culture and structures and, and how do we implement and affect change and how do we really connect with people, you took that and you were embodying that and you, you led some really incredible conversations in some of your posts where you were specifically asking. And I liked how you always put the caveat at the bottom. I'm not seeking anything other than to start a dialogue, to open understanding, to gain knowledge and information. Because one of the things that I heard most often in the autistic community in April last year was, I'm not seen, I'm not heard, I'm spoken over, I'm spoken for, I'm spoken about. No one has asked me my opinion or my belief, right? No. No one has asked, hey, what's your experience? Or, you know, can you share what's going on or why you like this or why you don't like this or what this is for you? And you did that this month in a way that I thought was just so necessary. Because, you know, from a marketing and branding perspective, from a 
as the you know, leader of the neurodistinct workforce movement, I am a champion of, of corporations who are seeking to change. I champion them. And one of the things that you have to do in all cultures, and autistic people are our own culture, folks. We mm-hmm. have our own language. Yeah. We have our own culture. And what we have to do is understand what all these languages and what all these cultures are, where we are seeing from a similar perspective, where we are having a disconnect or we're not seeing, how do we bridge that? And how do we start communication and translating these languages and cultures one to another in order to find a harmonious place to meet and We don't always have to agree, but we do have to be respectful of one another's differences, right? Absolutely. And I think that's, that's such a critical piece that um, I don't think is always present, even though it may always be intended is the respect part. And um, sometimes you have to, uh, and this may not come out right, I apologize, but sometimes you may have to sacrifice a little of yourself in order to earn that respect. But if you give it, you're going to get it back. And that's exactly what happened. I saw you do that throughout <laughs> the entire month. I really did, Scott. Well, thank you. And I, I so, I, I was cheering on a daily basis, just about every time I would read your post or read, read a conversation or a dialogue that you start to have with someone because you did in all aspects. And it's something I so greatly admire and appreciate about you as a human, about you as a researcher, also about you as an individual advocate. And that is that you do come from and approach all things from curiosity, compassion, and respect. Yes. No matter for that. And that is really powerful. That's what, that's where change happens. I I completely agree. And I think, um, I, I remember you and I were talking about this leading into April. I think that's one of the key things that is missing. You know, we, we have autistic advocates, um, or autism advocates from the non-autistic audience. We have autism advocates and autistic advocates from the autistic community. But what we really lacked, you know, and they're both asserting their points of view. Um, but what we really lacked is just that forum and that environment that encourages us to talk about those uh, different values, beliefs, and assumptions, and experiences, and so forth, in a neutral way, in a safe environment, so that people can be heard, everybody, not just autistic people, and yes, we have been marginalized, and that's going to continue unless we do something different, because what we've been doing has been marginally beneficial. Um, And I think one of the keys is to opening that conversation in a safe place so that we can get all of the important things out on the table, regardless of uh, perspective, so that we can work through them in a meaningful way. I, I couldn't agree more. And one of the things that 
is really important to me. I'm part of the autistic community and my friend Diane J. Wright um, started autistic and she has created this incredible community. And she is a biracial woman of color and she worked in big corporation. She worked in big business. I mean, massive, huge business. And she came back to this and she said, look, people of color, people who are transgender, LGBTQ plus, we are the marginalized of the marginalized group. And we don't have, and this is what I have learned because this was something I wasn't aware of. I knew from my own experience, I didn't feel safe in a lot of places and in a lot of ways. And for my friends who are the marginalized or the marginalized group, it broke my heart because I had some real heart to heart conversations because I'm like, guys, I invite you. I want you here. Your voice matters. You matter. And they said, Carol Jean, we don't feel safe. Yeah. And oh my God, it makes me want to cry right now. It kills me. It kills me. It does. And I mean, if it takes us in any way to make a safe space, because I mean, we, we can't essentially, I mean, I don't want to make a space for somebody that, that wants to create a space for themselves. I don't, I want that person to make that space, that space for them. But I know that we have to work together, all of us in the autistic community to create a safe. And as my friend Enzi says, he's one of the moderators on autistic and I just love Enzi. And he has just a beautiful way of saying this. We need to create brave spaces because a safe space means somebody's created a place for us, but in a brave space, we have the autonomy and the agency to speak Mm -hmm. without hindrance. And I think that is such a wonderful goal for us to have, because when I asked for people to join in and submit for the shine a light advocacy campaign. When I asked people to join for the, this is what autism looks like autistics in the workforce. I wasn't getting a whole lot of variety. I wasn't getting my friends of color. I wasn't getting my friends who are LGBTQ plus. I wasn't getting those. And I was like sending messages and asking like, guys, why what's going on? And I really appreciated that they were, they were honest with me and they're like, I can't, I can't come out. I can't, I can't be, I can't be openly me in the world because it's not safe. And at that moment, (laughs) you just lit a fire under this girl because that's BS in my book because no one in my In my heart, no one should live afraid and feel unsafe to be themselves. And I know that that is not the reality in the world. I know it's not. I mean, globally, it's horrible. But what you're doing, seeking to understand other and variations of perspectives and why people have beliefs, what their understandings are, 
that helps create in marginalized and marginalized places. It's the step in the direction to create places where people can show up and can say, this is me and not be terrified. Absolutely. And, you know, that kind of brings to my mind one of the, the things that we, we hear constantly is that debate about is it autism awareness or autism ex- acceptance. And to a large degree, I, I and throughout this, this month, it, it really made me think about this. On one hand, yes, I, I think autism awareness is kind of a given. Very few people don't know that autism exists. But on the other hand, if we think about a, a more operational definition of awareness, and if you look back at my um, post with my uh, model of autism value change, that first level awareness, that's equivalent to receiving or um, where we, sh- like what you're talking about, where we share and listen to others' perspectives. And can we see a different point of view? I think we we've have a really good handle on sharing our perspective, but not receiving our perspective. And your, your uh, description there of that brave space, I think we have yet to fully create that so that we can even achieve the receiving level, that awareness level, much less acceptance, which to get to acceptance, I think we need to have understanding. And if we can't see other people's point of view, and if we can't question our own views and the views of others to have that dialogue, we're never going to understand them. And hence, we're never going to get to acceptance where we can actually adopt a new point of view. I love that. You know, one of my NeuroDrive team members is Jessica Michaels. And she, ooh, then a, that woman is powerhouse. I'm telling you, <laughs> she is amazing. I just love her. And she's writing this really incredible book for companies, for HR departments, for L&D learning and development departments, specifically focusing on creating cultures of preference. She really works on how do we shift and change cultures. And I love it because you, I, you two got to meet, I'm going to have to introduce you guys. And what I love is, you know, when Jessica and I were talking, we both kept coming back with the same two words, compassionate curiosity. Mm-hmm. And truly that is, if we look at how we're indoctrinated from the time we're born, because we are from, you know, our families, our school, our church environments, our community environments, we are indoctrinated from a very early age. And by indoctrination, I simply mean we are shown, we are modeled, we are taught. This is how you live in the world. This is how you operate in the world. Because this is what keeps you safe. Mm -hmm. And I think what is missing in that, and I'm hoping that this is starting to shift and change. I hope we are part of helping to change this. Is that safety is an illusion for starters. (laughs) It is an illusion. But the fact that curious compassion was missing. That's not taught. That's not discussed. So what does it tell you as a child when someone does something that's different from you? 
And I think part of our biological wiring is this subconscious knee jerk, you know, it's Tim, my friend, Tim Goldstein says, you know, the tribe model. And it's like, oh, you're not part of the tribe. You're different. So you're, yeah. that means you're not safe. You're not one of us, right? One of us. <laughs> and in that, there's a fear response that that is a threat to my survival because it, you're different. And instead of viewing it from that perspective, just like that base knee jerk response, I think once we can shift and we can raise an awareness and change behaviors to a compassionate curiosity, we create those brave spaces without having to navigate barriers. What do you think, Scott? I I think you're absolutely right. And I saw this play out uh, throughout April and I can't remember the specific post. And I know you were on it because you had chimed in at some point, but I had brought something up and it it may have been something about identity language or um, medical versus a social model of disability or, or something in that ilk. Um, but there was one person that took a hard stance from the opposite a position. And so I modeled exactly a, what you're describing. And instead of saying, no, that's not how it is, this is how it is, I simply started asking a series of questions of why that person believed that. And within three turns, so three uh, exchanges back and forth, within three turns, that person went from a hard line, this is my position, to, hmm, I got to think about that. That told me right then and there, this approach will help bring about sustainable, meaningful change. I know the exact post and I know the exact (laughs) conversation you're referring to because it was so powerful. You modeled exactly what respectful, curious, compassionate conversation in a very emotionally charged and strict, rigid stance in belief and behavior can be shifted. Yeah. How that that wall can come down in a matter of three exchanges. Cause you could literally read and feel the energy shift. Yeah. There, there was anger at first. And then at, by the end, there's genuine curiosity. It really was. And, and, and you know what? I, I'm glad you used that term model. Um, I just want to do a real quick tie in and then we can move on. Uh, but I, will, I want to make a real quick tie-in to uh, uh, ABA to this. You know, what we hear about, we've got to change people's behaviors and you're going to go through this therapy and we're going to teach you how to uh, be successful in the world. But going about it, what I believe to be the wrong way, which is forced coercion versus let's take a different approach and understand why you're doing things and kind of nudge you in the direction that uh, may be better or help draw out your own direction is really the more accurate way. 
And, you know, in the org development world, there's a mantra that um, most people believe, I definitely believe it, which is you ask questions in the direction in which you want to affect change. And a question in and of itself is an intervention. So if we're, if we're doing those things, if we're modeling the way that we want to be to create that brave space where people can feel comfortable uh, and not fear being themselves, we're going we're gonna to make strides to some really powerful change. I agree. I agree. That's, that's why I, I loved what you did this year. I loved how you approached this because it, no one else has done it. I mean, you were pioneering this. You were literally flipping the script on this, Scott. You did. Well, thank you. And it was beautiful to watch. Um, it was just incredible to see the responses and the engagement from people. Because there was so much understanding and sharing of perspectives and knowledge that was very interesting. Mm-hmm. What were, what were some of the things that stood out to you most? Like if you look back on the whole month of April, and I know you did a whole lot of work and I, you were collecting some massive data here, but if you had to like, from, um, from a heart stance, from a heart set where you say, where you look at it and you're like, that was a powerful conversation. That was something I didn't know. That was an amazing aha insight that person just shared with me. What was that? So I'll answer that from a more uh, general standpoint uh, because it, it we can sit here and talk all day about individual things, which um, just a real quick plug, I'm not done. I'm not going to have an aut- uh, April Autism Acceptance Month. To me, it's perpetual. It's year round. You're going to see this stuff from here on out um, because there's just so much work to be done. But it's kind of a... Um, an overarching uh, response to your question. When, when I would ask things about, um, specifically about uh, identity language, social medical models, ABA, the individual things, um, as we're used to hearing them, which do you prefer? Uh, uh, person first or identity first language? versus let me rephrase this and ask about the essence of it versus how it's identified. I got a different response. I got, here's the espoused theory and here's the theory in action. I got, like when I asked about the components of the medical versus a a, um, social model, for example, every, the vast majority, the lion's share, even from, the hardcore medical model people were, well, yes, this is, this is what would be best for humanity. All spoke to the social model. When I asked about things about changing behaviors and the, that sort of stuff, but didn't ask it like we typically see it oriented around ABA behaviorism, I get the, the responses of, well, no, that wouldn't be the right way to go about doing things. So what was really uh, powerful for me was there actually does exist an espouse theory. What we say we believe, regardless of which side you're on, and theory and action, what we actually believe. 
And I'm seeing a lot of that in my asynchronous uh, interviews that I'm still doing right now. And even hearing from people who are pro-behaviorism, I'm getting a lot of responses back that say that really they're not. I, I love that. And, you know, we were talking about the post that you have out today, which I love because <laughs> I was like, mm, this feels familiar. Yes. <laughs> and, you know, it, it, it was really good because, you know, that's something that, that Allie and I have and what we structured into our neurodiverse communication ecosystem. It's also part of my unveiling method when we are looking at burnout to thriving because if it because people so often talk about your habits and your behaviors and changing those and that's a surface level that is that is just a resulting symptom or behavior that results from something much deeper i go mm-hmm. into and look at it and examine what are your needs What needs are going met? What needs are going unmet? What are your values? And your values change over time. Your values change in your season. They, you may hold family as one of your top five values in one season of your life, maybe when you have small children. But as they get older, family is still a value you hold, but it might not be in your top five. It might be number six. And some of the values that come in, right. They evolve. So it was interesting because we were having this conversation because values is, is the element that we launched today, um, yesterday in the coaching cafe Academy. And that's one of the five elements of our neurodiverse communication ecosystem, because values is the foundation of our boundaries. Values is the foundation of our relationship types. It's the foundation of our communication styles and how those change. And like for me, when I did a recent values assessment, because I like to revisit about every six months because life Mm -hmm. changes about that often. And health was number one. Health was number one. And family wasn't even in the top five, but Mm. When I start to look at that and I break down what those values mean to me, I knew that health was directly tied to my family because I hadn't had health, right? Because I hadn't had health. I was sick and I knew what it was like to not be able to go play with my children, do the things that I wanted to do with my husband. And those things directly impacted what I valued in family, which was the connection, the time together, things like that. So my health had to be a priority. And it's so interesting because, you know, we have this shame because we've got this belief system that we've ascribed to because society and social norms say, you should value your family, especially as a woman, your family should come number one, nothing else, Mm -hmm. your health, everything else should come secondary to that. Your family comes first. And, you know, you hear a lot of, um, a lot of that same dialogue within families, you know, it's like families first, you know, blood's thicker than water, quote unquote. But really when you start to get down to, when you look at what are my values, what are my needs then you can look at, and part of the burnout to thriving 
unveiling method is identifying your signposts. Your signposts are the identifiable behaviors and resulting actions in your life that tell you a need is going unmet. Yeah. And why would we approach, quote unquote, therapy and from a behavioral standpoint and only from a behavioral standpoint and not ever get down to the drivers? What do you think on that? Because I know you and I are like on the same page with this. (laughs) I've got two thoughts for you. Number one, that that reminds me of, of one of the posts and um, it was asking about what are behaviors, because I think that's an, one of those unspoken assumptions that we all know what a behavior actually is. And um, from, when people respond with something, I'll actually go look it up, too. I'm, I'm a trust but verify kind of person. So when people are posting or responding with things, that's giving me stuff to go look up from a, a multiple different perspectives. And there are some people that said thoughts are actually behaviors as well. And actually behaviorism treats it as that too. I don't buy into that. So that's one thought. Um, The other thought made me think about um, a presentation I gave at a conference in Vancouver a couple of years ago about an approach. I I do program evaluation work. um, And there's so many approaches that look at it from an output perspective, you know, what kind of changes happen after an intervention of of sorts. And I actually authored a new model of uh, evaluation based on the very premise that you were just talking about. And I say all that to say, in that presentation, I quoted uh, Mahatma Gandhi. And he said, your beliefs become your thoughts. Your thoughts become your words. Your words become your actions. Your actions become your habits. Your habits become your values. Your values become your destiny. And to your point, we want to try and change what's different by focusing on just this one thing, action. And it's flawed from the, from the very foundational philosophy of it. That's why I love to talk to you. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. You and I have such similar ways of diving in, looking at things. So psychology has something called a behavior chain model. You're probably very familiar with this. And it is phrased in this way. And I really, I hate all the terminology that's put together in this because it's really, there's so much negative commentation, all of this. So it starts with the foundation is trigger, then thought, then behavior, then consequence. Now that is to me just a complete beep show. (laughs) Yeah. And and I dug into it. Yeah, and And I I was going to just add, that's the foundation of ABA is what they call the ABCs, antecedent behavior consequence. Exactly. It's not that simple. Well, here's the thing. We have on average, and I would probably double it for our population of neurodistinct humans, 70,000 plus thoughts a day. 
Right. I had that before my first cup of coffee. Thank you very much. <laughs> mm-hmm. Right there with you, buddy. You know, that ADHD <laughs> high speed brain of mine, and it's got 90 tabs open and four different tracks of music playing and all the stuff. I have way more than that before my cup of coffee. So I, I've been doing a lot of reflection over the last few months specifically because that just did not sit. It was, it didn't make sense to me. It did not sit with me in a way that it was rational or implementable and it wasn't true. So I have been working on and I've developed something that I, I am working on a, a title for it, but a thought chain in a different way. So a belief, in my opinion, and in, in my definition of this, a belief is simply a thought or an expression that we've agreed to. And we've agreed to it repeatedly and we've confirmed it in some way and it then has become a belief. From that belief, we then have a thought. We then have an action. We then have another thought, which usually involves judgment, where we're judging whether what we just did or what has happened and how we're thinking is either good or bad, you know, safe or unsafe and all the stuff. And then we have another thought after that judgment. And then we take action. And within that process, our beliefs are usually based on our needs. What do I need? I believe that this is, this is right. I believe this is wrong because that's what feels safe to me. That's what I need to meet what my beliefs are, my expectations. And we don't have outcomes. We simply have data. If that even, because if, if we don't uh, solicit data from outside of our own being, that cyclical process that you're describing will never change. It'll only get more cemented. Yes. And, and it's so and, you know, interesting. We have to step back and you have to have a reflection. Yeah. And, and you have I think to. That's, that's, why I was, that's part of it. And I think that's what's missing so often is awareness and reflection. Yeah. Which is uh, why I did what I did this month and will continue doing, which is what are others' perceptions? And it's not just for me. It's for everyone who reads my posts, too. So I guess in that sense, I'm not just a self-advocate. But bringing those things out into the open, calling out the white elephants as they are, um, uncovering or unpacking layers of assumptions and getting down to the nitty gritty of things, that's where we're going to start influencing those thoughts and, and uh, ways of thinking that we currently have. And somewhere in there is the truth. And to, also to your point, that truth is not fixed. It's not crystal, crystallized. It's fluid. Yeah. And if we don't always do that, the truth is going to move on somewhere else and we're going to be left behind. And so we always have to be asking those reflective questions, challenging 100%. our own assumptions. 
That's exactly right. We have to challenge our own assumptions. And, we and have we don't know to how be to do that willing. If we don't ask. No, but we also have to be willing to be open, to be curious, to be wrong. Mm-hmm. Not that there's a right or wrong. I mean, that's just what you have, but to evolve, to know that how I think and believe right now in this moment is going to change. This is not how I'm going to think and feel forever. I mean, let's, let, let's look at this for a second. Let's, let's put this in some, some context for folks. Cause I Absolutely. think we, we've probably gone a little, a little out there and that's okay. Cause that's just how we work. And most people in our world work this way too. So we're probably good. And they totally get it. Yep. And they totally get it. Right. But let's, let's just put this in a different context. Let's just have this section. So 100, 150 years ago, people experienced ill health on a daily basis. You know, they may have like this constant low-grade fever. They may have this, you know, infection. They've got a sore on their leg. You know, they're working almost all the time. I mean, let's think about the beginning of the industrial revolution. I mean, people were working in these, you know, sweatshops and, you know, child labor and all of these things. And they would say, oh, I feel horrible. And the person next to him would go, we all feel horrible. That's normal. Right? That was the norm. That's what everyone was, quote unquote, experiencing in some way. And we would look at that today and someone would say, God, I feel really horrible. I'm just, I'm just not feeling well. I can't stay awake. I'm really tired. Everything hurts. And they'd be like, you need to go to the doctor. You need to go get that checked. Mm -hmm. That's not normal. Because, you know, we have antibiotics, we have modern healthcare, there's all these things, you know, let's please just not even get into modern healthcare today, but that's a whole nother topic on itself. Right. (laughs) But it's what is our perception of normal? What is our normal now? You know, people talk about what's the new normal. Well, it's it's a shifting in awareness and understanding. It comes from Mm -hmm. people like you. It comes from people like me. It comes from people that are part of our community that are really asking some hard questions and asking the questions no one else seems to want to ask. They're afraid of the answers because that might be uncomfortable because it goes against what the mass majority believes or what the social norm is perceived to be. And I think we got to keep doing it. You got to keep doing what you're doing. That's why I'm going to do this uh, throughout the year. And yeah, I, I've always been a strong believer in we should always question what it is we do. And in doing so, we're assured at least one of two outcomes. Either one, we find out, yeah, we are doing it the right way, the best way, the whatever. And now we have some data to support that claim. Or two, we find a better way to do it. Both of those are positive. So there should, there's no reason to be afraid of asking questions. And I know, uh, you know, reading a lot of the responses that I get to the questions I do pose, I get a a lot of what feels like either instructive or luxury of, okay, you don't know, so let me teach you. No. Every question I have, I've already got my own perception, but I want to hear others. And so it's not about, um, I don't understand this, help me understand. It's, I don't understand where you 
what you believe about this. Help me understand what you believe. I love that. I think that that is such a key takeaway from today's conversation is shifting how we approach starting a dialogue about something that we might not agree with or believe, but to, from a place of compassionate, respectful curiosity, say, I want to know what you think. And then just allow that person to share what that is and have, like you did in so many instances, just a dialogue that's going to say, hey, I'm I'm not accusing, I'm not trying to impose my viewpoint or anything. I really genuinely want to know why you feel and think this way, because it matters. That's, and that's, you know, think, think about Socrates and why, why he is such a powerful figure of philosophical thoughts um, is that's, that's what he did is he questioned. And then when he gives an answer, he'll challenge that. I go, but wait a second. I thought you said this before, but you're saying this, why the disconnect? What, you know, what's different about this versus that? So it's not just ask and answer is ask and probe deeper. And, and we're going to, we're going to uncover some sore spots and dialogue, dialogue in general will have its pain points, but the outcome is so much better because we uncover those pain points in an empathetic way, a compassionate way, and not just bash it. Oh, I love it. I love it. Guys, if you are looking to join in the conversations that Scott is starting, go follow him, go check him out on LinkedIn, be a part of this amazing dialogue that he's got going. You won't regret it. Thank you so much for being here, Scott. You just, you always spark my joy and you spark my brain. Well, thank you. I I, I always enjoy speaking with you and I I appreciate uh, the times that I'm able to reach out to you and say, hey, I need an ear to listen to or a shoulder to cry on. And um, everything else that you do is just phenomenal. And, and, you know, I want to be more like you. And uh, (laughs) I want to be more like you. So there we go. (laughs) Mutual love fest. Thanks so much for being here, Scott. Guys, stay tuned. And remember, we got some amazing things coming up. We got sizzling sexy summer series launching in june all about autistic sex baby we got candace christensen from fabulously candace we have amy gravino who is the sex lady all about us and our sex and what we want and so many more guests and some workshops and some cool stuff coming up so don't miss it see you soon if you are someone who likes to help people and share what has made a difference in your life Please share this talk show with a friend and on your social media accounts so that you can be the blessing in another late identified autistic's life. Be sure to tag me at Social Audi so I can personally say thank you. And to help keep the talk show ad free, please consider becoming a one time or recurring supporter through either Buy Me a Coffee or the Anchor Podcast links in the show notes below. I truly appreciate your support. Thank you for being a listener and thank you for adding your voice to our story.